0: It's your girl Marisa, and you are listening to the Herd That with Marisa Tigney Podcast. What's up, Heard That Nation? Y'all have asked, and you've asked, and you've asked, and it's finally opened. The Heard That With Marisa online store at HeardThatWithMarisa.com. I got the merch. Finally happened. Swaggy tees, amazing hats, other kinds of different merchandise that I got on there. Check it out today. Thank you for supporting your girl. Uh, fill up a shopping bag with all kinds of stuff. Give away as gifts or keep it for yourself. All kinds of amazing swag and merchandise. Check it out today. HeardThatWithMarisa.com. I appreciate your support. The Heard That With Marisa Tigney podcast is sponsored by the Trevor Romain Company. He's got cool books and posters and digital downloads that I will tell you students, and teachers, educators, even parents will truly enjoy them. And check this out. If you go to his website, TrevorRomain.com right now, and put in the code ROMANIAC, R-O-M-A-I-N-I-A-C, at the end of your checkout, you will save 20% off of your total order. That is a great deal, 20% off of your total order of some amazing books, posters, cool things that you will definitely like that will help and enhance the happiness of your kids, your students, even yourselves. I mean, I have a collection of his books And they're just absolutely a fantastic read with valuable lessons in it for all ages, I believe. So go to his website, check it out, TrevorRomaine.com. Put in a code ROMANIAC at the end of uh, your checkout, and you'll save 20% off your total order. That is TrevorRomaine.com. Check out all of his cool stuff that he's got going on today.
2: What's up, Heard That Nation? Listening in the United States and around the world, you are listening now to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast. If you have the pleasure right now watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button so that you be in the know of any future guests that I have on the show, like this amazing woman here today. And I want to get it right because I, it's my show and I'm going to consider her as hip hop royalty because I can. Uh, I am so excited to have her here. Hip hop journalist who has written for numerous publications, The Vibe, Our Vibe, The Source, Rolling Stone, The Village Voice, just to name a few. I'm in the presence right now of an NYU professor and author of God Save the Queens, The Essential History of of Women in Hip Hop, which I know I need to pick up after reading this incredible book right here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see all my little bookmarks that are in here. Baby girl, better known as Aaliyah. If you are a fan of hip hop, if you are a big fan of Aaliyah, I don't think there's a bigger fan than those guests that I have here today. Please welcome Kathy Dioli. I hope I said that right.
1: Iandalee, but yeah. Yandali.
2: We rehearse this too, Kathy. Yandali. Welcome to the Heard That Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Uh thank you for this incredible book. Um of this artist that I believe over and over again is just absolutely timeless. Um, every time that I hear a song come on the radio, or, you know, I have a couple of her songs, many songs, in fact, downloaded on my playlist. And it's just like, I can't believe that one, the age that she was when she recorded certain songs, like 15, 16, 17, 18, just the maturity of her voice. Right. Um, and that, you know, so many artists that are inspired by her and Cash Doll is one of the ones that I can think of because when I look at her IG page, she's so inspired and will you know, just say it all throughout how Aaliyah has influenced her as an artist and so many other people that we'll discuss uh, momentarily. But take me back to a young Kathy when she first fell in love with hip hop. Because for me, um, the 80s and going into the 90s, I, you know, fell in love when I heard run DMC and uh, um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the Beastie Boys. Uh, so many of those hip hop genres in, in, in the hearing the medallies, hearing the beat, hearing the flow when it came to rap. What was your love, your first love? It could be an artist before we go and dive into Aaliyah because obviously um, your love for Aaliyah it speaks volumes in this book. But who was your first love when you uh, were listening first to
1: hip hop? Uh, it was Ladies First. Uh, the Ladies First video was the one that did it for me you know, mm-hmm. taking King and money Love, I was ten years old mm-hmm. and when I saw that video, I I was a child of the well, my favorite artist growing up was Michael Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. And then like from Michael Jackson I went into like Debbie Gibson and New Kids yeah. on the Block. Like, I you know, I, I got very much, you know, um I embraced the 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 teeny bop like pop stars and then I saw this video and I was like hold on <laughs> you know and they are singing the hook and the force of the rhymes like I didn't understand what was going on but I knew that I really liked it mm-hmm. it came yeah. all together for me arguably no actually most definitely in 1992 when TLC arrived. right mm-hmm. so at 10 years old I was still kind of like Oh, I really like this, and then, but I also still like, you know, New Kids on the Block. I I like this, I like that, you know, um, Debbie Gibson, Electric Youth, like all these, like yeah, other things yeah, happening. It was 1992. I was 13 years old, and Ooh on the TLC tip came out, and I saw the video for Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and that marked that transformation for me, mm-hmm. where I ditched everything else, and just like my full focus went into hip hop, and it was. It was funny because everything changed for me. My style of clothing—I, um, <laughs> I had balled up like green saran wrap, and I, you know, in between um, '89 and, and '92, I was also just like, really into a different world, right? Yeah. So, so I had the Dwayne Wayne glasses,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I like balled up um, green saran wrap and put it on top of a, a, a cutout index card, and I put it over the one eye. Because I didn't know what left that I had on her eye, I didn't know it was a condom, mm-hmm. so I used to wear that around. <laughs> my my <laughs> glasses at this thing, and then I had like I had the, um, the cross collar t shirt and like mm-hmm. cross color jeans, or like Karl Kani jeans, and the um my mother wouldn't let me have the um unbutton my fly t shirt. Yeah, the t shirt. You remember?
2: When and I went. To, I remember that because I went to a private school and going into college, and there were Ooh. restrictions of. Having that kind of dress, and like you know, you can't be so provocative, and then let alone no. me being in a private school, it was a Christian school, so certain stuff like that I couldn't even wear in one express. But when that bell came, you know, the shirt was underneath the shirt, and you know, all that, all that that I wanted to express about the love
1: of hip hop that you had, yeah. And I remember I was like, I want the unbutton my fly T-shirt. My mom's like, uh uh-huh, huh, huh. No, so, um, but, I did, but I did have um, the Looney Tunes characters, uh, the girls who were dressed like TLC. Like, yep. they, oh my gosh, I wish I still had that T-shirt. But that was like the point was it was that marked a turning point for me as I was leaving, um, you know, grammar school, going into mm-hmm. high school. It, the the love affair with hip hop started really then, that very much shaped my identity, like as I entered into my teenage years. Mm-hmm. So. And then that brought me to two years later when I first encountered Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this this progression. And it, like you and I were talking
2: before coming on here about the authentic beauty in her voice, the quality of her voice, the maturity of her voice, and me when well, the first time I heard her uh, back and forth was the song, and it played at a wedding. And oh, wow. I was dancing with somebody, but then I stopped. I'm going, "Who is this singing? This is this this voice is just amazing." And the person I was dancing with, was like, "What are you doing? You're looking funny on the dance floor." And I'm like, "Now hold on, because <laughs> right. this is this is a whole you know different uh, vocal arrangement and, and, and talent that I've not heard in a while." So, what was it? A song for you? You know, her, first first heard coming out. You said two years after, you know, TLC, um, that you were like, "Oh my gosh." I am just, who is this? I need to know who she is. I want to go to all her shows. Does she have a, you know, what? when is she releasing music? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, you know, with with Aaliyah.
1: It was the the world premiere of the back and forth video on MTV. And I remember that. I was mm-hmm. watching it when it happened. And I was like, I just, you know, the interesting part about Aaliyah, and, and this this is very much a continuation of like my relationship with hip-hop and going into just experiencing Aaliyah, when you think about the 90s R&B artists, how they dressed, you know, their vibe, um, the female artists in particular, their vibe was not as in line with the aesthetic of hip-hop artists, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Like, I modeled my entire life after Left Eye, right? Like, I thought, like, I I wanted to dress just like Left Eye. Yeah. causing chili too, but but more it was it was it was um it was Lisa who had the the vibe about her. Mm-hmm. And when I saw Aliyah in the back and forth video, you know, she's it's an R and B song. Mm-hmm. But she just exuded hip hop too like her style. You could just tell she was a child of hip hop and we're the same age and it was like you could you could just tell and in the video when she does that, that dance, the Yeah i remember just watching like what is happening right Uh and i was just taken and then i made my mom take me to sam goody um shout out to sam goody which is a year later yes a year later became the place i would work for five years um but i i went there and i got the cassette single and I to this day, and I need to, I I should hit one of my executive friends over at Jive because to this day I cannot tell if I had a broken tape or if they purposely made the song go back and forth like like the sound when I would mm-hmm. play it on my tape recorder it would go like it would go back back forth and the sound went back and forth and, and to this day I still don't know I used to call it the seasick version because it would just go back and forth right and I right tape broken by the time the album came out. That was not a problem because I bought it on CD. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I I really, like, burned a hole in that cassette. And that really started my just, you know, love affair with Aliyah's music. And by the time we got to one in a million, you know, 1996 was just such another impactful year for me uh, as a fan of music, as a human, as a woman. Um, you know, I was I was 17 years old, and the Fuji's came out with a score. Mm-hmm. Aliyah comes out with One in a Million. Little Kim comes out with Hardcore. That air that year, it was just jam packed with so many
2: people, new artists or new music coming out. Jay-Z. Yeah,
1: Jay Z. Um, and it was the year I started working at a record store, which for me felt like peak identity. Right, mm-hmm. like, like mm-hmm. I, I'm at a I work at a record store now, and like. All this music was happening and it was such an important year for me um and Aaliyah was like at the top of that for me you know even um by the time you know by her second album when she was like actually Aaliyah you know I don't really feel like the first album was all her but mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. I you felt her by 96 so for me that was like the moment where I was I went from she's so super cool to, like, she's just everything. I like how the way that you wrote in the book,
2: you know, obviously the introduction so that people know, I mean, if you've been living under a rock, which most people (laughs) I know know who Aaliyah was, it still is because her legacy lives on 20 plus years later. Um, I, I love how you gradually The reader, myself, and many people, and I'll ask you that later on, those that, because you got some really great comments on the back of the book from well-known people, one of them being the Academy Award-nominated Quest Love, by the way. I I pray that he wins. Absolutely great documentary, uh, uh, Summer of Soul. Um, That you, you take the timeline of her, and I gotta tell you, Kathy, it was a difficult read of uh, the beginning of, you know, her an encounter with R. Kelly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and all the turn events that has now happened. It recently happened uh, with uh, so many of the survivors coming out. And then there was a couple of times I had to put the book down because it's just like I felt myself getting upset at him of what he did and, and so forth. But then I had to look at it at her as the talent and, mm-hmm. and you know, her performing uh with Gladys Knight uh at the age of 10. And, you know, started to become a vocalist of her own and, you know, gradually uh, building from there and, and building her brand from there. Um, from that, and, and how you beautifully done that, and it still shocks me that you never met her. I, I felt through the book that you knew her, that you two hung out, that you two, you know, had a report. Because the way that you wrote it, the essence of it, it was just absolutely brilliant. Um, take me through when you were when you were writing this book, um, and I get I keep saying beautifully written because it is for myself as a person that had had followed Aaliyah, not the extent that you have, and you know so many other fans that I knew uh, that know. Um, there was there so many memories that you had, you know, great memories you know, and I can give you an example, the Tommy Hilfiger thing, when she became a trendsetter. Yeah. I mean, immediately when you started, when you wrote about that in the outfit that she wore, because, you know, Tommy Hilfiger back then had, you know, gotten himself in some hot water on the mm-hmm. comments and say, you know, it's a people of color, you know, we should be wearing yeah. his clothes. As I'm looking at my wardrobe going, I like what you have and I don't drop a good dime <laughs> on all this stuff. So right. what do you mean I'm not allowed to wear it? But she catapulted, uh, as you wrote in the book that, you know, Tommy Hilfiger needed Aaliyah, uh, and you know, more that she needed him, um, how, how did, how did, when you were writing this, did you keep the reader in mind, like myself to, to enhance those memories that popped up? Cause like I said, Tommy Hilfiger, you know, the, the, the whole campaign with that and everything else when you were writing that yourself, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited when I was reading this amazing book, the the memories of what she had accomplished in her short life. What was the accomplishment that you wanted to do and set for the reader when they were reading this, this incredible book?
1: Well, I think there were, there were levels to it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. For me personally, as a fan, I held on to those happy moments because I knew that there were parts of the book that were, were, were pretty were pretty dark, right? Mm-hmm. So I had made sure, you know, to, to kind of make these moments as, as big as possible, right? Mm-hmm. That, that we felt them because they were big for the world, too. One interesting thing that I found was Tommy Hilfiger never went on TV with that statement mm-hmm. that they accused him of, um, which was was interesting because it makes you think about, like, if this hap- if that had happened now, he would have gone on Twitter and said, I never, whatever. Like, there's no... He, they said he went on Oprah and said it, and he had never actually been on Oprah before. Right. on Oprah after the rumor circulated um, to, I believe, correct it. mm mm-hmm. There was never an incident where he came and said that... That
2: um, yeah, he never said it, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the thing about w- Aliyah. With that campaign, and you know, I had the picture—the one where she's like um, by turntable, the turntables. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, that was like hanging up in my locker. And then there was like another, the other one where she's got the the headphones, and she—that has got was in my locker too. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, what what Aliyah did for Tommy Hilfiger was like, you know, she opened that door for other women in fashion, but you know. Tommy Hilfiger did not have a pre- the presence of black women in fashion mm-hmm. in, in his acts. You know, he had Kedada Jones working, um, behind the scenes and she eventually came, came to the front too. When, when he was kind of developing that little crew, that was, uh, Yeah Pete Hudson was in there, Mark Bronson, you know, they mm-hmm. that group, but, but it was Aliyah who was the difference. Right. And like, she was the one who set this trend and, and the way that I, I, I put this line in the book and I said, um, she wasn't wearing uh, tommy hill figures' clothes they i forget what it says. something along the lines of like they were it was it, they were she like she was the star in their yeah, clothes. she wasn't wearing tommy hill figures clothes
2: something like that you were saying that basically um she was that tommy Hill figure was wearing a Leah or something like that yeah yeah
0: and,
1: um those moments are are the ones that like you know. My my publisher was like, oh, do you really need a Tommy girl chapter? And I said, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. because I, you know, I pushed for that chapter because I, first of all, it was monumental to the fashion world and what Aliyah contributed uh, to the space, and 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 it also that particular style set a tone for the girls of today are still dressing like her, mm-hmm. you know, even young men and you know even non-binary people are are all dressing in this very similar aesthetic that it was Aliyah who who put forward. So. I wanted moments like that in the book because there's people like myself and, and, and you who remember those moments and, and we, we get taken back to a point in time where we're like, oh my gosh, remember this. this, this. Mm-hmm. But then I was also just painting the picture of what the environment was like for all the new Alia fans who are like 15 years old, mm-hmm. who weren't even alive when she was alive and wanted to paint that picture for them because they weren't here for it, mm-hmm. right? So it's a combination of nostalgia, but also information of painting a picture of a, a time period, because all they have right now are YouTube, uh, YouTube clips and like videos and um, and photos and stuff. Right. But it's a little bit different when you're, when you're like really setting the stage and, and trying to bring that era back in the writing. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely important to me, just for a number of reasons. So Yeah, I I held on to a lot of those moments. You know, I I, I wanted, I wanted that for the book. I I think you did it very
2: well um, because throughout, I found myself reflecting to, okay, when this particular song came out, I was at uh, um, on campus at Michigan State University, kicking with it with my girls, and we was going roller skating. Or, you know, um, if your girl only knew. That song right there was fire because of the fact that the way that her voice was building in the song and the and the medallies were building with it and then she would do that intro like, if you girl, oh, I'm like, oh, shoot. And then we, we'd be with the one and be like, so-and-so, so, this is their theme song because they're going behind their dudes back and this is, or they're, you know, doing this, this, this and all this other sort of stuff. And just the, the, the range that she had and the trendsetter that she was and still is um, I found myself going back to certain places and certain spaces where I was at in the '90s, um, whether it be, like I said, you know, skating or uh, on campus or you know, taking a break uh, and kicking it at a basketball game and, and, and all that. So, with with all of that and, and going through the late '90s, and we talked about so many various artists that were coming out and all that, and Leah coming to her own. I do not know one person that when they got One in a Million wore that CD out. I did. Oh. And I had to buy another one because shame on me for loaning it to somebody I never saw it again. For One <laughs> in a Million, <laughs> silly you me, now I can download it. For One in a Million, I felt two things, uh, actually several things, uh, uh, of Aaliyah, is that she was transitioning out of aging, nothing but a number. You know, she had the baggy clothes, she had this glasses, the hair that every girl, including myself, Wanted to have that long, uh, uh layered bob because her hair was just absolutely. And all of her imagery was just absolutely stunning. Um, but one in a million started to transition her into you know she started to grow. She started, I you know her voice is starting to be enhanced. It's not being controlled. Uh, mm-hmm. If that is you know fine to say from what it was with ages, but number we're hearing Aaliyah, uh, having her say, having her way in this record um and having a great team around it. And what I found that was so great what you did is not only talk about Aaliyah and you know what her next chapter was, because that transition from when she was under the control of R. Kelly, I mean let's be real with it, to, you know, working with Timbaland and Missy and Static Major, big difference in as far as vocal range and uh creative content, uh and creative control too. With that um, I, I I didn't know certain things of One in a Million and how much Static Major had it, uh, had his in, uh, his thumbprint on that. God rest his soul. Uh, as well as Timbaland and Missy, I knew about them. But tell the people that are listening and watching one who Static Major was, because not a lot of people. When I was talking to folks behind the scenes and saying that you were going to be a guest on. Mm-hmm. It was surprising to me that those that were fans of 90s music and fans of Aaliyah did not know a whole lot about Static Major. Really? Yes, which was surprising to me. Because hmm. I'm like, are you kidding me? His resume for the short years, because he was only, uh, unfortunately, uh, was lost at 33 years old. Yeah. But I was like, okay, if you're a true fan of hip-hop and, and R&B, you should know about Static
1: Major. Yeah, I mean, you know. Steven Static Major Garrett was a singer, songwriter, producer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one third of the group playa, but also a part of um the swing mob that where Timbaland, Missy, genuine mm-hmm. you know, the engineer Jimmy Douglas, along with a number of other people, have kind of all come together in uh upstate New York to help uh Swing Put together um, to the show, The After Party of the Hotel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people, the uh, people have spoken at great length about this experience and how kind of traumatic it was um, the way that the whole thing was set up. Mm-hmm. Where it was like hunger for style, like write these songs and, and yeah. do whatever. And, and, like, competitive. Uh, but, you know, SAT was a part of that. And through the whole process of, when, when Aaliyah entered what I guess we could call her crime, right? Mm-hmm. Static was behind two songs prior to the Aaliyah project, the, uh, the final album, that I think had the most impact. There, there's one thing that I do want people to know about Static, you know, outside of everything else, you know, if we're going to pull like one of the songs that even after Aaliyah passed that Static was known for, it's Little Wings' uh, Lollipop, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Static's voice he was able to to replicate voices for so the songs that he helped create he was able to kind of make shifts in these voices in his own voice mm-hmm. to match what the artist was supposed to do for the song that he was like helping to tailor mm-hmm. so in genuine's pony that's static singing the hook that uh, part
2: i didn't know that
1: yeah so you know it's i, I believe there's parts that are layered with Genuine. But, and I, don't quote me on this one, but I think the same is on So Anxious as well, where it's just, he just has, there's just a thing, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. so another example of that is in Are You That Somebody? Mm Mm-hmm. The one, the primary, sometimes I'm dirty, dirty. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm naughty, naughty, yeah. So, and how, like, he was able to almost meet Mm Aliyah at her, um her vocal range mm-hmm. and the thing that I think was just the best part about the working relationship between Aaliyah and Static Major uh and for anyone else who's listening who wasn't sure about him you know obviously he's a player who has the song cheers to you um, mm-hmm. and also Static was part of just seeing Timberland's work and, and just an all-around just brilliant brilliant human um But the thing about their working relationship is Static had a a, a very different vision and a mission for Aaliyah than I think Timbaland and Missy did and then the guy that she first started with. Um, You know, Timbaland and Missy were very much big on pulling out Aaliyah's strengths as well. Mm -hmm. But Because Timbaland and Missy were such artists and, and so focused in, in what it was that they did, you know, you know, Missy writing the songs, Timberland producing, the two of them kind of coming together and creating these works, you know, they would kind of package these songs and like give them to Aaliyah mm-hmm. who would go to the booth and usually it was just her and the engineer, Jimmy Douglas, and Aaliyah would, you know, sing the lyrics and like if there was something that she wanted to change, she would improvise as she was singing the song. Right, right. right. Static was different. Their relationship was different. The working relationship was he would get in a room with her and be like, Okay, what do you want to talk about today? And she would say, Whatever. And like, he would come up with a line. And then she would come up with a line. And then the two of them would come up with a song together. Mm -hmm. And then go into the booth. And, you know, Aliyah would do something. So that would be like, No, louder. You know, do this with more. He was there. He was very much part of the process. It was very different for her. And I think by. By the time that project happened, you know, it was primarily recorded in Australia while Aaliyah was filming Queen of the Damned, mm-hmm. and there was only a handful of people at that point who were working on that project. You know, it was um, Static, you know, Tank had um, written some songs, um, Eric Seats, you know, Buddha, like, uh, you know, uh, Rapture, like, there was a, there was just, you know, a bunch of new players in in the mix. hmm I think it was also because, you know, Aaliyah was kind of transitioning into this new iteration of herself, right? Mm -hmm. Heading into Hollywood, there had been five years in between albums at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Not including the fact that there, you know, we're not including Romeo Must Die, where she, and like all of the kind of the the, the collaborations she had done. Right. Third album, there was a five-year gap, Mm -hmm. Right. Because so much had happened during that time period. You know, the, the Tommy campaign, um, you know, Romeo must die, um, you know, the starting of Queen of the Damned. The, mm-hmm. There was there was just a lot going on. So by the time she got to this project, you're talking about Aliyah, a full-fledged star. Mm-hmm. It was very different from the one in a million situation. One mm-hmm. in a million kind of pieced together because so many people, so many producers um, didn't want to work with Aliyah. Once she left the other guy, Mm -hmm. Uh, they just, they they were afraid of what that would mean for their own careers and not, maybe not get to work with him again.
2: And that is so surprising to me when I was reading that, that they would think she has the talent, she has the vocal capability, but no one wanted to to work work with her on any kind of project whatsoever because of. As you put it beautifully, the other guy, and how much that his influential control of was, you know, with the, the beginning stages of her of her career. I was really surprised by that. That I didn't know.
1: I don't think people. I'm going to give humanity the benefit of the doubt, though. I do know that there are people who understood the magnitude of the, the destruction. Talking to just a number of young black women, but we're going to give people the benefit of the doubt when we talk about this right now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and have them, and say that they didn't understand the magnitude of what was happening and what exactly was going on. Mm-hmm. um We can we can say they they had the, the the John and Yoko mentality of you know oh I guess they just fell in love in the studio not not even thinking about the fact that she was 14 years old and he was 26, 15, 27, whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't like let's wipe that away. In in, in the minds of uh, people in the music industry, you're talking about one of the biggest, if not the biggest, R&B artists mm-hmm. in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. He was completely, all the superlatives were being thrown at him as like, oh, yeah. like the R&B god. So they didn't understand what that meant. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things where they, they probably were like, okay, I don't know you know it's like it's like which friends do you keep after a breakup kind of thing right Mm -hmm. like that and i'm gonna you know guess that's what the situation but i also want to shout out you know there's a lot of people who did work with alia right Mm -hmm. jermaine dupree you know dark child puffy was gonna work with her you know she was supposed to be working on biggie's album you know she had flown out um to the islands with all them uh, to work, but then you know she got called back because a couple of producers had jumped on her project. You know, uh, KG from Naughty by Nature, and then Tretch came in. Well, okay, yep. oh, there was a lot of there was a lot of people who uh, who did rise to the occasion. So mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily say like nobody wanted to work with Aaliyah. There were people who were like, no, I mean they they recognized the talent, but I think we were at a point where they people didn't quite understand until the next album, even the album after that that the talent was in her and not the environment surrounding her. Because the only constant in all of these things was her. Mm -hmm. You're talking about an artist who, for three projects, her teams were entirely different each time around. Mm -hmm. And the person who kept growing in her genius was Aaliyah, Mm -hmm. right? So by the time we got to that final project, there was no way, shape, or form that you can say, the person who was standing over her in the studio was the reason why the product was so brilliant it all came together by the last project where when you listen you understand that this is she's the constant and she's the reason so you know backtracking to the uh to going into one in a million you're talking about a project that's kind of piecemeal together, right? Right. You have one half of the project that's this producer jumps on, that producer jumps on, this producer, whatever. And then you got the other half that's straight Timbaland and Missy. And it came from Timbaland and Missy being advised by someone at Atlantic. It was pretty funny, Um, to throw their hat in the ring. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take a chance to kind of, um, audition for this project right mm-hmm. so they came and they, they had this song and barry hankerson and his son jomo heard it and they were like this sounds too kiddy for her you know mm-hmm. you, you you know unfortunately like you can't a 15 year old was singing aj nothing but a number you can't go now she's 17 and have her start talking about bubblegum you know mm-hmm. so but alia listened and what the song was was it was Timberland's first, you know, foray into that 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 signature sound that he had, you know, with the like the, the 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 sound, the production, mm-hmm. and the way that the song, like Missy was, like the way that they put it together. Aaliyah was like, okay, fine, you don't like the song, but mm-hmm. I hear something in in these musicians. So they went. And they flew out um, and met with Aaliyah mm-hmm. and they composed songs together. And then that's how they got back on. That's how they got on to do the remainder of that project. And Genuine, so they didn't even have studio time for this at this point. So Genuine mm-hmm. was recording Genuine the Bachelor. This I didn't know. And yeah. And he surrendered his studio time so Aaliyah could work. And I think. This this was the first moment of, like, you know, teamwork, right? Like, these, mm-hmm. this is not, you have a community of people that really just genuinely want her to win. Because how right? many
2: artists do you know that would do that They would give up their studio time? You know what I mean? To
1: take a chance I mean, that was, on... That was the same album, too. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, he, it has, he was working on his album. Like, it's not... I, I saw think... it as a win-win because both
2: of their yeah. projects were mm-hmm. phenomenal, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it an act of generosity and, you know, in really wanting this artist to kind of, to to work with her. And I think it just tightened the bond um, amongst all of them. I think it was,
2: would you say it tightened the trust level too? Uh, because going from the trust level of the person that she was with and, on their first album to, you know, now Timba and Missy, Genuine, Static. Um, when I was reading it, I just saw two different types of trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, if it's, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. So you saw, you know, a a young girl that was in a trust of someone, but it was just like intertwined with all his intertwinings. And like you said, he was well known in the R and B world, pretty much untouchable. He had the vocal and all the talent to back it up. And then you have a team with you, which I don't think I don't know if and I want you to answer this, where they truly wanted her to win and possibly that was something that was foreign to her because she didn't feel that the first time around, but she's accepting that now with people that she's surrounded by that want to enhance her talent, her vocal range, the music, the lyrics, they they truly, genuinely wanted her to do well.
0: Don't you go anywhere. The Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast will be right back after a brief pause to hear from our sponsor. The Heard That with Marisa Tigney" podcast is sponsored by the Trevor Romain Company. He's got cool books and posters and digital downloads that I will tell you, students, and teachers, educators, even parents will truly enjoy them. And check this out. If you go to his website, trevorromain.com right now and put in the code Romaniac, R-O-M-A-I-N-I-A-C, At the end of your checkout, you will save 20% off of your total order. That is a great deal. 20% off of your total order of some amazing books, posters, cool things that you will definitely like that will help and enhance the happiness of your kids, your students, even yourselves. I mean, I have a collection of his books, and they're just absolutely a fantastic read with valuable lessons in it for all ages, I believe. So go to his website, check it out, trevorwillmayne.com. Put in a code Romaniac at the end of uh, your checkout and you'll save 20% off your total order. That is TrevorRomaine.com. Check out all of his cool stuff that he's got going on today. And welcome back to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast.
1: I think it was a shift. The narrative for the first project was, I want us to win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The narrative in the second project was, we want you to win and then together we will all win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very different language, right? Um, a different kind of, like, it was perceived to be a love language, the first project, and the second. Um, and we won't go too deeply into this, but we don't know because she wasn't allowed to speak on it. Mm-hmm. We don't know the depth of the trauma that she held mm-hmm. from that situation. So, the fact that she found a sense of community with this next collective, Mm -hmm. there had to be something special there because... a safe space, yeah. A very safe space. And I don't... I think we would be all kidding ourselves to assume that she left that first situation and didn't feel an ounce of emotion or trauma or some sort of pain from it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be very realistic. And, like, the thing was the when she was doing her songwriting for the final album, a lot of the songwriting was her backtracking and thinking about what she had endured from the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so, there's also that, right? So, if you hear yeah. a lot of those songs, you hear something very different from what uh, you had ever heard from her because I think she was in that point of like deep reflection. You know, she was 22 years old and, and, and recognized like things and, and hearing and thinking about things, like, but yeah. You know, the the story was different. These are people who were like, all right, I'll give up my studio time. Okay, I'm just going to fly out and audition for you. Like, I I want, you know, it started, her career started with her auditioning for that guy. And then it moved into them auditioning for her. Mm-hmm. There's there's a difference, right? Yes. So I think there is kind of like, the energy was, was completely different. And, and it was something she needed and something she deserved. Something mm-hmm. she deserved, you know, at the end of the day. We saw
2: a transition from, you know, Aaliyah with, like I said, again, she was the trendsetter when it came to fashion, but we saw a shift in that where we're seeing Aaliyah, the stunning version of her, you know, she she had that sex appeal where, you know, she had the, you know, the midriff and, you know, still the baggy pants, you know, that many of her followers and those that, you know, idolized her. Love that kind of dress Well, we saw a little bit more midriff. We saw a little bit more skin. We saw a bit longer hair. Part of it over her eye, you know, rumors saying that she had a lazy eye. I was like, whatever, she was stunning. It didn't matter. Who cares? Um, but I, I think of the video, um, try again. Uh, oh. just, God, she was just, just absolutely just the dance and the vocals and, you know, how the video all came together and just the, she was just gorgeous mm-hmm. in that video. And, and I like while I'm talking to you, while I was reading the book, too, while I'm talking to you, I just see that replaying over and over in my hand. It's just a, how just beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful uh she she was in that video. And then coming to her own, I just felt watching that video, and I was, you know, when I was getting the notes and everything together the other night, I was watching, and I'm like, she feels comfortable and felt comfortable of her inside and outside beauty. Whether, you know, Mm -hmm. was the director saying you need to do more of this or the steps or anything else. I took it as, okay, I'm watching this video. She had the lyrics. She had the talent. She has the beauty and everything else. But it seems
1: like that she embraced all of that herself. She did. She did. She, it's hard to watch that now and not feel like we were robbed because she left two years, three years later. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually well, Try Again it was what Try Again came out in two thousand?
2: Yeah. I think it was two thousand, yeah. Yeah. A year
1: later, Yeah, you know, I was thinking argue that somebody that was ninety eight, but mm-hmm. it it was hard to just it's hard to look at that and be and feel like she was she was on the precipice of something, right? Mm-hmm. There was there was an evolution that was happening within her. Uh you know, she was an adult, you know, a young adult now and she was entering into just like woman, right? And like it, it's, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's bittersweet watching those things because you, you, you remember the emotions of like watching it when mm-hmm. it was happening in real time, but then you think about just like all the what ifs. But it, uh, it was a turning point for her, and I think, in turn, was a turning point for pop music mm-hmm. because the direction that pop was going in following. Um, what Aliyah did in that song and then um, in uh, going into the last album Mm -hmm. is is really the framework for modern pop music. And I I went to One in a Million as well, but it was um, the way that Aliyah was like experimenting with different genres, Mm -hmm. the way that she was kind of changing things up it, it, set, it set a standard for what we're still experiencing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's incredible.
2: I'll throw, you know, as you mentioned, are you that somebody in there too? And the, the fun fact you put in there that was just like, oh my God, I never knew about that, was the baby sound in there and how that <laughs> yeah. came about. Yeah, I, I didn't know that because I promise you, Kathy, when that song came out and everybody heard the, the baby sound, they were like, Immediately. When did Aliyah have a baby? Is that her baby? Is that her, you know, I'm going, wait, what? Don't ruin the song by doing all these conspiracy theories of this, you know. I mean, she's got masterminds that are doing the sound, and you got Timbaland and the hook and all of that stuff. But tell everybody the once and for all, so that people can stop the little theories and those that are thinking of it. The little baby cooing sound, uh, the laughing sound that's in in the song itself. Where, how that idea came about.
1: Well, it was definitely not, uh, you know, the, like, Alia, uh, uh, some, you know, child of Alia's. nor was it, you know, another rumor that they said that, um, it was pulled from home videos of Alia as a baby. Of yeah. So, they, they had to, uh, they were given, like, just a couple of hours to put this song together, um, you know, there was an opportunity to get on the 90-professor mm-hmm. uh, soundtrack, and was the 90-professor? Dr. Doolittle. Happy. Um, Dr. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> professor, okay. No, Doctor Doolittle. Same um, actor in both ones, yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> Eddie Murphy, um, and, and and both like banging soundtracks. I mean, yes, if like, yes. You know, go there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, Doctor Doolittle, and the with the soundtrack, you know, the, there was this opportunity to um, get a song, and Barry had told the the label that they had a song already, and they didn't. Um, They were out in LA, I believe it was, and um, he came back and he's like, hey, I told them we had this song and they were going to pay like an exuberant amount of money for it. So they were like, all right, I guess we got to do this song, right? Right, right. Whole song together, you know, um, Static had already had lyrics and, you know, Timberland was messing with the sound, this like beat and whatever. Um, At first, Alia was like, eh, but then, you know, she started to like it. And then at, um, at the end of the whole thing, they're done with the beat and everything. Timberland was like, wait a minute. You know, this needs something. And he pulls out this C D of like this baby. And he's like, and like adds it into the song. And there, you know, when I I speak to the to Jimmy, the engineer on the song, um, mm-hmm. about this, and he was like, it was really not, you know, people over the years have searched for a deeper meaning to why this actually was on the song, and it really was just Timbaland hearing this song and being like what can I add to this to just be like oh what and then him just running and getting a baby mm-hmm. like and it was just it, it's funny because it, he just like kind of put it in and then you know Aaliyah heard it and she was like oh that's cute like the baby's sounds cute and that's how it happened oh. um yeah not not Aaliyah's home videos of either her or you know anyone else. And it
2: uh Timbaland uh correct me if I'm wrong calling her baby girl
1: it was the first time um, on record mm-hmm. that he called her that, and like, you know, obviously it, it later birthed the title of my book, you know, Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was the first time that we, as the fans, heard her, he called that on record, and, and you know, obviously it led to how mm-hmm. so many people who adored her, either personally or from a distance, calling her Baby Girl.
2: Right. You got Aaliyah, this amazing talent, vocal artist, can Sing, and, and, you know, choreographer. Then you have now Aaliyah, the actress. Mm. Um, And a staple movie that I will watch, and if it was the only movie left, I don't care, is Romeo Must Die. For some (laughs) reason, I I like that movie. I like the movie. I know that people were looking for, because I know that she was, uh, her and Jet Li um, decided, also, they had a huge... um, age difference as mm-hmm. well um i don't know something about that movie to me was just so uh full of action i respect mm-hmm. her for doing her own stunts um mm-hmm. uh, that she did not want to stunt double um which is a very bold move and was that her first movie that she was in romeo once died her first acting role
1: well, not her first acting role because you know she was like a, a, a child of off 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 Broadway back in Detroit. She yeah, yeah, like, that's right. Like that, and um, I believe it was her first. It was her first. Motion picture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely her first film, but I don't know, you know, because there was like, like Aliyah, I did, I feel like she did a guest, uh, on like a, like TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. um, something, you know, on film, but not this was definitely our first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing how much of a natural
2: she was in there. Like you'll get ones that it's a very rare find where you'll have that person that it's their very first big picture, motion picture. And it just as many times as they rehearse and in the script and everything else. And it seems like they're supposed to be a fit. And, you know, you'll hear about it or read about it. In Rotten Tomatoes and other critics they'll talk about it as well. I didn't see that with, with Romeo almost Die. A lot of people that, uh, and again, you know, going back to my college years and then leaving out of college, um, uh, love the movie. I remember going to, uh, in my hometown of Lansing, uh, seeing it in, uh, one of the AMC theaters and it was packed. It was packed that night because I mean, you had girls that was dressing like Aaliyah and everything else. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it was a few people, a few naysayers, they were saying, okay, you got this Asian dude, you got this black woman, how in the world is this gonna work out? But overall, like at the end, I remember people leaving out of the theater and just giving a standing ovation to her and mm-hmm. how she naturally gravitated to that role of, of uh, trying to think of the name of the, the person, the character that she mm-hmm. was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, for me, that was just one of those classic films that I I would put that in the top 10.
1: Here's her performance alone. It is. It's it's a really, it's a really good film. And, and, you know, we got to remember in high school, Alia majored in film and dance, right? Mm So she, um, as a kid, she auditioned for the role of Judy Winslow, um, Family Matters. So she was trying to get into acting Mm -hmm. kind of at the same time as, as uh, singing. So there was, there was kind of this, parallel that had run but I think once the music took off the rest you know that that kind of uh, that part of the career was like kind of put on hold until Romeo must die but I think she'd also been waiting out for something that she felt was like authentic to her and and there was, I think there was a lot of similarities between like the Trish character and Dahlia you know Mm -hmm. and um, which I think really played into her decision to want to take on this role and you know um, people would say when she played Akasha Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. That there was, it was like kind of a, a strain from who she was, which is something yeah. that she wanted to do by that next project. But because Aliyah was so fascinated with Egyptology, there was some kind of, you know, uh, synergy between the Akasha character, mm-hmm. you know, because she's the mother of all vampires. And she's an Egyptian. Um, uh, you know, vampires, so it was, there, there was still some sort of kind of, like, you know, synchronicity going on there that still spoke to, something that Aliyah was very much into. And I heard, I mean, I don't know how, I, I heard this throughout when I was uh, working on the book, but I didn't want to include it because I couldn't, I couldn't get enough uh, confirmation, but she had also auditioned for the role of Storm in Men, from what I heard. And, like, they, they tapped her to, it, but I don't but it didn't work out. I and mean, you know, obviously she's going to play Z in the Matrix films. So, mm-hmm. so but I heard all accent. From, from so I mean there was there's some super superhero you know mm-hmm. element of what what it was Alia was going to do in her next acting role. Yeah, would be really cool. I I I just,
2: just someone that is an artist and you said, you know, she had a background in film and acting and um you know, I, I applaud those that, you know, they're not just musicians, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody knows them for singing, but they broaden their talents to, right. you know, motion pictures and films and everything else. And then, then we see, you know, I don't know, what, a year or two later that all of a sudden she's on the biggest stage ever, mm-hmm. the youngest to do it, and that's the Academy Awards. Uh, and I, yeah. I will never forget that because I watched it that night. And just you know, number one, her her whole attire, you know, because you're used to the crop top, the baggy jeans, and all of that, and you know the amazing appeal that she had. But her coming out in that just beautiful black gown, uh, owning the stage, singing um, from the movie Anastasia, Mm -hmm. um, just carrying just this. And I and I was watching it the other night, and it just gave me chills all over again, as it did that night when I watched it uh, years ago. Her presence, um, how she just captured the audience just singing that song. Uh it, it, it was something that I, I will never get forget and again and I will keep saying this over and over
1: again, just the essence and maturity of her vocals. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. She was just she was just unbelievable, you know. I, I think there was there was just this was this was um You only get like one Aliyah in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that I really feel like we're only slowly beginning to realize that now, right? Why do you think that is? Well, I think for a number, right? I think, first off, she left so suddenly, right? Like, I don't, nobody, nobody predicted that she would die in a plane crash at 22 years old you mm-hmm. no. I, I th- that nobody saw that coming and nobody would also see coming I mean, that a few weeks later not all that so I think I think that that the grief was taken from us as fans right? we were mm-hmm. we were wrong with the ability to kind of really understand what was happening because it was like one tragedy the other right mm-hmm. the other was like on a I mean, Aaliyah was on a global scale too, but 9-11 was a different kind of global tragedy. So I think we we lost the ability to sit and really think about what we lost, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's that. The other thing is we were still very much a part of an era that was still unfolding, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of hard to see what the through line is and where that concept of a legacy really begins and ends, right? Mm -hmm. It's still happening. And, you know, for a very long time, you know, we didn't have, when, when streaming music started, we didn't have Aliyah. like, there was no line to draw. We right. were like, this is a song, or Aaliyah, you know, right? Um, you had that, right? So, you're we talking about the concept of understanding the impact of the legacy. We were, we were part of an era in music, which I think is still a problem today, where mm-hmm. we don't give black female artists their flowers and what they actually create for the world in terms Say of Say that. Mm-hmm. So it's, not, it's one thing to have a great album, right? Mm-hmm. Be a great singer. It's another thing to give credit for creating an entire movement. And I think that that is something that's still very much missing in the narrative as it pertains to honoring Black women. Specifically. Um, it's always the, you know, what a monumental album. What a great artist. But it's like, no. This artist created A movement that people have then taken, Mm -hmm. incorporated it into their own personal ethos or whatever, right? Like that. Yeah. So that was definitely an era where, you know, still going on today, but we weren't we weren't acknowledging who who it was that was in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. I think that, truth be told, the the nineteen ninety-four, nineteen ninety five followed her through the end of her life. Mm-hmm. So there, there was always going to be someone who would bring this up. And it was almost like it was like the stigma, right? Mm-hmm. And it and it had continued even obviously into um her passing. But I think because we are now all Universally, understanding of who that man truly is, mm-hmm. and how demonic he is. Now that we all understand that, right? Mm-hmm. We can take the stigma away from Alia and just leave it in his lap wherever. Mm-hmm. And I think I when, when you remove that side conversation that people still had, and if you worked in the music industry, not a single room. Didn't whisper those rumors or stories whenever her name was mentioned, even you know after she passed. When we when we can remove that piece from mm-hmm. her because she doesn't need it. You know, mm-hmm. she's a survivor, not a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Not a wife, not a girlfriend, a survivor. Yeah. When, you, when you when you give that to her, and then when you look at all of these artists who have taken a page from her playbook, when you look at how For three projects, she was the thread. She was the nucleus. When when you look at how people are still dressing her, Mm -hmm. um, still sampling her, Mm -hmm. copying her, right? I think it's only now, right, that we can look at it all in the big picture Mm -hmm. and say, this woman was a once in a lifetime human. This was a person. Who was born to change the world, and unfortunately could only stay for like two decades. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think, but it, it it took it took this almost the same amount of time of her entire life, right, for everyone to finally understand who it was that Alia was and what she contributed to the world as a whole, and um. You know, my goal with the book was to really just put it all in between pages, right? To kind of put that all together so that you can open it and then you can read the progression. And by the time you get to the end where I'm still talking about the future, you Mm -hmm. can then understand that this woman changed the world, right? She changed music. She changed fashion, Mm -hmm. you know? She even changed film. In, in a number of ways, right? Mm-hmm. When you see when you see the way sci fi films um work female characters in, there are so many knots to Akasha. Hmm. How a- i didn't Lee think
2: about that until you just said that. Wow, yeah.
1: Yeah. Right? And so again, it was this was this was a person who was never going to be replicated. And people may try. It's just it's never gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just very important that we just make sure that we honor her. And, you know, I, I do hope that the next honoring of Aliyah the two things I hope for her. Um, she needs a, a VMA Vanguard Award, right? But she also needs a star in Hollywood. Agreed. These are these are things, this, these should be no-brainers. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that th- these things haven't happened yet, um, It just blows my mind. And I was hoping in her lifetime she
2: would won a a Grammy Award. Um,
1: Yeah.
2: Because, I mean, like like you and I just had said in this conversation, when her record, when her album, One in a Million, came out, it was just loaded with all of that talent that was also nominated because that female class for Best Record, Best Artist, and so forth, I mean, it was absolutely loaded, and I believe it was Lauren Hill's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill that was just that album that was on every... I mean, I had that album too, it Out, and then she swept every category. But, you know, as you were saying, the influence of Aaliyah is... And I remember too when MAC Makeup came out with a whole series. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, And that sold out immediately mm-hmm. online. In the couple of the, the, the malls and the stores that, that had, you know, the whole MAC display, you saw this small little display where her picture was, <laughs> and where the example, you know, the makeup samples were at, and then right. every other thing that wasn't, the, the blushes, the lipsticks, all that, that was gone. Um, and I had asked the manager, I said, how long was this on display? He goes, today. Huh. And I said, oh, and how long did it take? He goes, two hours. We sold out in two hours. He goes, I was trying to call other stores to see if they had her her, her set. And they said, and he said, one of the managers was laughing and kept laughing. And she goes, I'm not trying to be rude, but we sold out in 45 minutes. Oh my and that's yeah. why she kept laughing. She's like, yeah, good luck trying to find anything of that. So her legacy and her influence, as you said, just carried on to today and then some. I remember August 25th, 2001. Mm-hmm. I remember it was an MTV that I found out. It, it, and I verified it afterwards. I remember it was announced on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a joke. I am
1: mm-hmm. like, there's no way. Right.
2: There's no way. She, she's this beautiful star. She's got everything going for her. She's dropped this new music. She's got all this happening. Working on her you know, third album. There's There's no way. Me and my, you know, my young man, I'm like, okay, well, to verify that it's true, I'm going to see if MTV has breaking news. Because MTV, you know, you and I know, they played videos all the time before sure. reality TV. Uh, that's where you went for your music source, you know, as well as BET, okay. and they had to come up in 106 and Park and all that. And it wasn't, and I, I can't remember the BJ's name that it was on there, and it was just like he was holding back
1: every kind of tear possible. That announced her passing. Yeah. I was numb. Mm-hmm. Take me back to where you were at when you found out about her passing. Um, it was around eleven o'clock at night. I was in a parking a diner parking lot in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like it was the I was in my last. It was the, I'd graduated from from college mm-hmm. in that day, uh, so. This diner we would all go to, like right on the side of where my university was, right. And, and even after I graduated, we were just we really there. So um, my friend and I had gone to like we had like a late dinner, just like met at the diner after that, and then like eat. And when you know he had one of those cars that like um, you know with the system, like, have, like, like the whole thing, would shake yeah. And would big speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the sports muffler, I like, it was just one of those. I call sports muffler. I know nothing about cars, but you know, what I, mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yep, I do. So he starts the car, and you hear Rum. you hear. I heard Angie Martinez's voice, mm. and that was Angie's shift, so I was like, huh, I wonder why? Because you know, Hot ninety seven was on the radio. i wonder why Angie's talking, and you know, it wasn't like in the you know, this is Angie Martinez. Like it wasn't that kind of Angie right mm-hmm. it's not, it was like very soft like she was very solemn and i was like huh so I was walking to my car and I'm just like walking slowly like trying to listen to what's going on and my friend was like hey he's like I think Aliyah died in a plane crash and like I stopped and um you know I in the book I say like as I said you know when like the sound leaves the room well it felt like the sound had left the entire planet because like I I stood and I just felt like everything was when you said that, right? And I was like, "What?" Like, you know. So I, get, I get back. I go over to his car, and I'm and I sit in the, the passenger seat, and we're listening on the radio. And you know, they're reporting the details. Um, it happened around six o'clock in the in, in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We didn't get word until like eleven something, but but most of the news outlets didn't report on it until after midnight, which is mm-hmm. why stories of, say August twenty sixth for most part. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the time challenge that followed on that Monday morning, you know, obviously had a different uh time stamp on it. You're so we right. were sitting there listening and I was just like <clears throat> uh, it, it was like it was one of those things where, you know, you just you're just like in such disbelief and then having home and I'm like changing stations you know, on a time. So, see 98.5. and it's all Aaliyah. Thing. And I'm like, "Suck!" Like, like I'm talking like, like in the car ride, right? Mm-hmm. And I got home, and my eyes were swollen, like they were so big. And I got into the house, and my mother was like, "What happened?" Like, you know, yeah. Uh, and I was like, Aliyah. That's the player crash, and she was just like, "Oh, honey, like I'm like you know," and 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 she felt it because that moment for me, it was different. When you know, I was I was really hurt, and you know, I cried when Tupac um, died. Mm-hmm. You know, I cried when Biggie died. Um, I even cried when Kurt Cobain died, right? Mm-hmm. But. It wasn't like Len Ali. Right? Like it was it was different. Those those artists were like artists I like liked and listened to and, and you know, felt um connected to their music. Right. But Aliyah felt like my friend. Like I felt like my friend. now. Mm-hmm. And that was where, you know, that that hurt was very different and it was um it still hurts to talk about it. And it's, and and I think it's because when someone obviously without knowing it shapes your identity so much, right. Oh, you know, and, and has become a part of you, you know, um, and they pass away. It, it was just, it was one of those things where I just, it was hard, you know, and, and also we're, we're the same age. We were born like a month apart and, you know, I was—I just graduated college, like, and, and you're on—you're, you know, starting your life or whatever. And Ollie had died, you know, and it was—it was just—it—it was—it just, it was, it was terrible. It was, it hurt. And, um, getting—I went—I went to like—I drove, or, like, I drove by, like, you know, the funeral, and you know, I—I I, I wasn't. I didn't actually, like, actively get out of my car and stand amongst everyone um, until her two-year anniversary. Right. When I covered um, the anniversary at Ferncliff, and that was when I actually, like, went out. I, I don't know what it was that, like, I couldn't I couldn't bring myself, and I also, like, the traffic in New York City during that funeral was just, like, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Right? right. But, like, you, you know, you want to see, like, I don't know if you want to be a part of it, but like you did like you you felt it, like you know. So it was like just driving there and just being a part of the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just wanted that moment of making peace with the situation for yourself. Like again, it was it was just this like need for closure. Like I and and I felt and I can I can say this with confidence, but like it wasn't until I like wrote the last word of the book that I feel like I finally have closure um, in dealing with the death of Olivia. So what I had hoped for too with the book was to give another person a sense of closure in reading the book because I don't know what it was. Like I couldn't, like, whether it was the funeral, whether it was the anniversary, no matter what, I didn't feel like the chapters were closed. And maybe it also had to do with the fact that we connected us music. Maybe it was like a combination mm-hmm. of all this. But I didn't feel like I had closure. Um, mm-hmm. right? um, and I know there were other people that felt the same way, right? That's what I was gonna say.
2: I felt that with the last parts that I read in the book, but I also felt that Kathy was with the chapter four page letter and all the letters that were in there. And I was not prepared to have a bunch of emotion that I did when I was reading them. And that's why I recommend people that really, really, you know, they say they're fans of hip hop and Aaliyah to really get this book because I don't want to give away these amazing letters. And the beautiful thing of seeing these fans write to Aaliyah is that the age range that you have in there from someone that is in their teens, someone that's in their mid thirties. I mean, you got all different kinds of, and I'm sure that you could
1: have put hundreds and hundreds and thousands of other letters in this and book. Many letters too, and it was, you know, unfortunately, like, I wish, I wish we, we had thought this role out better, you know, to have made, a, let's say a website. Um, Some mm-hmm. of the, uh, some of the letters we were working to put on the web and, and, and kind of at least, you know, make something, um, work in that way. It was, um, there were so many letters to choose from and, you know, reading them was just, it was like a gut punch because I, I remember like there was, there was a, a theme with some of the younger fans where they would hear Ellie on the radio and they, you know, Um, go and look her up on YouTube and watch the videos. Mm -hmm. This one fan had this experience where he went to his mom and said, "I want to see Aaliyah in concert," and she said, "I'm I'm sorry, baby. She died. You know, in 2001." And that's when he found out Aaliyah died. You know, I was in a parking lot in in college. Is college. He was eight years old. I think it was. I mean, there was a couple of instances of this exact moment. He was he was a kid, or she was a kid, like, you know, and the mother was like, no, Aaliyah died, and that's when that person learned that Aaliyah died. We, we right. all have that story, even if um, it's years and years after her passing, because you, you still, you're not introduced as a kid, when you're learning about music, to hey, here's this deceased artist, mm-hmm. you know, not the first thing you say when you press play on a song, mm-hmm. right? You just press play on the song, you fall in love with the song, you yeah. fall in love with the and then you find out the artist isn't here, which is a different kind of emotional pain and grief, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, reading those letters it was like I am so I'm so happy I put them in because that it just it really like you, you had like there was fans from Brazil and you know um Canada and Kentucky. I mean they were they're everywhere
2: and I mean, fans as young as 11, 10, yeah. 10, 11 years old that talked about in depth about how they researched Leah, went on YouTube, um, you know, saw the, the beautiful uh, images that you and I talked about that we actually got to see because, mm-hmm. you know, thank God that we lived in the era of the 90s. And it was, you know, witness to the genre of music and the hip-hop and New Jack Swing and all of that. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's amazing what one woman... Has done uh, for that era then as well as now. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible how many people are discovering her, uh, who she was, and what she left behind. And as as I said to you, her music is just absolutely timeless. You put it on, I think it was recorded a year ago, a month ago, a week ago, because that is just the amazing craft that she had vocally. Just a two-gift. Uh, that that left us way too soon. Last question for you, Kathy. I want to ask you, you know, this, this amazing book uh, that giving away to two, two people um, that you're going to kindly autograph, and I thank you for that. If Aaliyah was still here and saw that, that you just journeyed her so well in here, what do you think she would say to you? What kind of, what in your head... No. Uh, cause I don't know like after you wrote you know the the part and like I said you and I said you know at that last bit of the chapters and you know you're going on to the you know four-page letters and everything else in the studio um imagery that you had uh beautifully at the end of the book um what do you think that, it, that she would say to you after all that it was written after all that it said um because I'm just wondering if you ever ever thought about that while you was writing it, all, all these incredible, incredible. In um, sh- side note, this is the only time that I've read a book twice, and this
1: is this is it. Um, what do you think she would say? I don't really know, but I can tell you what I said to her. Okay. When I finished the book, I said out loud, "I'm sorry we couldn't do this." Today. And that, I hope. I I would think I would I would want to believe that if she, we would have done the book together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would have co-authored the book together. That's that's what I would hope. So if if she were here, the book might have been looked completely different too, because you know, I wasn't in her head, right? Like I had mm-hmm. to. Go into other people's heads and read articles and try to kind of do these for myself, which is why I try to be as objective as possible. Mm-hmm. But if she were here, you know, it would be an entirely different book. Um, I don't doubt in in many in ways because I would be going from her place. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would hope that she would say, you know, we did it. We put out a book, right? Um, you know that that's what I would I would hope. I I don't there would be so many different circumstances if I'll leave over here just for myself as a as a writer for the planet. So mm-hmm. um but yeah, the the thing I did say when I finished the book was like I wish we did this together. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean I I hope that up there, you know, she's happy with the book. That's, that's all you can really ask her for. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I hope you she knows she was painted in the brightest light, you know, because mm-hmm. she, was just, she was just light, she was energy, she was everything, so, yeah. She was
2: uh, light, streak was sweet. sweet, an icon, a legend, gone from us way too soon, uh, a person that put seven to eight bookmarks up in here from <laughs> lamps, or that lamps, put like postage stamp coverings to... Um, all different kinds of envelopes. I mean, this, this is a phenomenal read. Baby girl, better known as Aaliyah. Um, whoever books are sold, uh, pick it up. You know, support Kathy in this, cause she, she did the dang
1: thing. Where can they follow you on social media, my friend? Um, on Instagram and Twitter, Kath3000, K-A-T-H-3-0-0-0. What's a 3000 sample? Yes, you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
2: y'all, I pick up this book. It is a phenomenal read. She has done the research. um, And for someone like myself that uh, is more of a person that will, you know, do books on, on tape and all that stuff. And her causing my kind of history of reading it twice. Is worth a read. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, so much. thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and Heard That Nation. I appreciate you. And as I always end the show, take care, stay safe. We out.
0: Be in the know of new episodes that are coming up on the podcast at HeardThatWithMarisa.com. I'm also available on Instagram at MarisaTignyPodcast, on Twitter at LovelyMarisaT, as well as Facebook on a social media page. Heard that with Marisa Tigney. I appreciate your continued support.